All right, I think that means you get to sit down, right? <laughs> Praise forever to the King of Kings. That's a great uh, message and a great reminder this morning. Thank you to our worship team. Wow. A couple of things I want to report to you. Um, we had our third quarter church family business meeting last Sunday, and one of the things that was very encouraging was that our our giving through the third quarter, even though it was down a little bit, was balanced by giving early in the year in the first quarter. We had a, a large gift that's kind of carrying us through as we go into the fourth quarter. So it uh, just seems appropriate to say thank you, right? Thank you to the Lord and thank you to our church family for faithfulness in, in giving and uh, just being faithful to supporting the, the ministry that God allows us to share in this place. I also promised you a report uh, this morning from our search committee. We met last Monday night. And uh, one of the things we've wrestled with is whether we should tackle this project on our own, as we've done previously, or whether uh, we should seek some outside help. Uh, we decided together that not only would we seek some outside help, but we've chosen a group within our family of churches, our Caris Fellowship, a group called Assist, that are gonna, we're going to invite them uh, with elders' approval and then finally your approval. Uh, we're going to invite them to come alongside of us and help us with the process. So we're moving forward, slow steps, right? You all want someone back here next Sunday so I can go bike riding, but uh, that's probably not going to happen. And uh, so as Tom would say, it's me again, right? So uh, that's the plan. Lord, take this time this morning as we open our Bibles together. Would you take this time, use this to encourage our hearts, use this to challenge our lives, Use this to motivate us to be men and women, boys and girls, with hearts deeply committed to serving and honoring you. Thank you for doing that, for empowering your word this morning, as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So are you a little stressed about this whole election cycle? Are you a little concerned about what's going to happen Tuesday night? Um, I've talked to people that uh, are convinced there's going to be riots. Uh, you know, new gun sales are up across the country. I think a lot of people are a little overstressed. Um, I have given thought to going and buying a gun myself. Haven't done that. Don't panic. It's all good. But, you know, there's, you read some of this new stuff, and it kind of stresses you out, doesn't it? Am I the only one under stress from all this new stuff? It's just kind of crazy. And I don't know if you believe that there's any hope for America today. But this morning I want to assure you there is hope for America. Now it is kind of fascinating to me, if you were to go online, the words hope for America, you'll find there's a number of organizations that are using that phrase, that tagline, if you will, to kind of promote their agenda. Uh, in fact, there's a book out that I found, which I found kind of interesting. Its title is Homeschooling, Hope for America. Now, I don't disbelieve in homeschooling. My wife and I homeschooled our kids for a few years. But I don't believe that's the hope for America. What about you? <laughs> you know, that's probably not going to be the ultimate solution. Uh, there's another group that uses that phrase, New Hope. And they're convinced that if we can just return manufacturing to the U.S. from China... If we would just be doing more manufacturing, more jobs, then there would be hope for America. That's their agenda. There's another group that's committed to bringing hope to the inner cities. And they're convinced if we can just bring more education and more dollars into the inner cities, 
then there's hope for America. And this just goes on and on and on in terms of what people are believing, uh, that there's going to be hope for America. Do you have hope for America this morning? And I guess my second question would be, if you have hope for America this morning, what is your hope placed in? Because what I want you to understand this morning is the hope of America and the future of America does not depend on who wins the election and who occupies the White House in January. There should be at least one amen there, but there wasn't. The hope of America, the future of America, does not depend on who wins the election Tuesday or who sits in the White House come January. That's not where our hope rests. And I hope you understand that. Um, we've been on this journey the last month or so. We've talked about praying for our leaders. Uh, we've looked at Daniel's prayer of repentance. We spent a couple weeks looking at that as he was anticipating uh, the return from the exile in Babylon and, and God's fulfilling of his promise. Uh, last week, I encouraged you to vote. Vote your convictions, not your conscience. Vote your convictions prayerfully. And I hope that's... How, have you already voted? I finally voted on Friday. Okay, most of us have voted. We've got a few holdouts. Um, my wife and I took our ballots and carried them in. Um, I was kind of disappointed. There's only one other voter there. There were about 15 volunteer workers and three of us voters. That seemed a little out of balance. But uh, we carried our votes in on Friday and uh, we voted. And uh, obviously lots more of you have. The hope... For America does not depend on who occupies the White House. And I hope you understand that this morning. Um, Greg Laurie, in one of his crusades uh, a few years back, said this, and I think this fits into kind of the theme I want to share with you this morning. If individuals would be what they ought to be as followers of Christ, what difference would it make in the church? And if the church would be what it ought to be, what difference would it make in a city, in a state, in a nation. The hope for America is God working through his people. And so I want you this morning to come with me and we're going to look at the life of King Josiah. And uh, his life is found in, in 2 Kings beginning in chapter 22 and through chapter 23. And it also occurs in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. We're going to read just a few verses in 2 Chronicles 34. So I want you to come with me to 2 Kings 22, and then if you get a chance to thumb over to 2 Chronicles 34, um, we'll read just a few verses there also. Josiah is an interesting king for lots and lots of reasons. And you think of all the great kings of Israel. You think of, automatically, you think of great kings of Israel include David. That's always the first name that comes to mind. And he's the standard. Everybody else is measured by King David. Every other king is, is defined by how well they measured up to the model of King David. And Josiah, in the line of kings of Judah, remember we got Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Israel's been taken into captivity. Judah is on the path to captivity in Babylon. So this is before the captivity, where Daniel was at the end of the captivity. Josiah is one of the last three or four kings in Judah. And Josiah is one of the very few kings who walked rightly before God, as did his father David. 
And so that's what we're going to see in the life of King Josiah. And there's lots of fun and interesting things about him. Because he became king at the age of eight. <laughs> eight. That just seems overwhelming to me. So in Second Kings chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, we read this. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidah or however you pronounce that name, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. We should all read these out loud together. It'd be awesome. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. That's King Josiah in a nutshell. Now, if you flip over real quickly to Second Chronicles 34... It says very similarly, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned 31 years. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father, David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved images, molten images, And so there's three big ideas here that I want you to see in the life of King Josiah. Because Josiah becomes, for me, a model of what we need as God's people in the culture in which we live today. If we could live our lives a little more like King Josiah, I think we could believe that there actually was some hope. For America, And so there's three big ideas here that I find in this passage that have impressed me, that have struck me as I've thought about that. Um, if there is to be hope for America, God's people need, first of all, like Josiah, to seek the Lord rightly. There needs to be a passion in our hearts to seek the Lord. That word seek means to pursue to follow after, to draw near. And you know, in in our culture today, people want to seek after, follow after, draw near so many things. And I wonder, honestly, if you would think back over your last week, what was it in your life that you were motivated and drawn to to seek after, to pursue, to draw near to? You know, there's people in our lives that we want to draw near to. Grandkids, our kids, friends. Is that a bad thing? No. In our culture, it's very very common for people to want to draw near to celebrities and uh, to have a sense of connection with celebrities. Um, And so I wear my my Dodger face mask because um, I've drawn near to the new World Series champions, right? And uh, was it uh, Raul this morning had his uh, L.A. Uh, cap on? Julian, one of those two guys back there. I wasn't sure who that was. And uh, Dave, of course, has his brand new Dodger shirt on, and he's sporting that in all its glory. Um, we, we, draw, we find things that we're attracted to, we're drawn to. We seek after, we pursue, we follow. We do that with, with television shows, we do that with movies, we do that with celebrities. We have this, this thing where we want to pursue and draw near. Um, there's activities in our lives 
that we seek after, we pursue, we draw near. You all know that one of my uh, the, one of the things that I enjoy a little bit in my life is riding my bicycle a few miles every month. Um, that's something that I pursue. That's something I seek after. That's something that occupies a chunk of my life and my time. What is it that occupied chunks of your life and your time this week that you were pursuing and seeking after? You know, I, I find myself, because of my love for cycling, I've discovered on YouTube cycling races that I can, that I can watch highlights of. I can watch interviews with, with some of the guys that are the top cyclist pro racers in the world. And how does that compare to Josiah when the summary of his life, when it's all said and done... He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David because he loved cycling. That's not what it says. Pursue, draw near, draw close. If there's going to be hope for America, I think we need to model our lives after King Josiah. The scriptures um, say this. Deuteronomy 4.29, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with, do you know how it finishes? All your heart and all your soul. Isaiah 55.6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Proverbs 8.17 says, I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. Josiah was eight years old. (laughs) And then it says he was 16 years old. So as a youth, as a young man, Josiah chose to seek, pursue, draw near to the Lord. As a young man, 16. One of the things that's amazing about that to me is if you... If you take your Bible and you just run your eyeballs back into the chapters, last couple of chapters before Josiah's life, you discover that his father was not a good king. His father was not a good role model. His father was not a good example. His father was a bad king. His grandfather was one of the worst kings ever to reign in Judah. Probably by many standards, Manasseh was the absolute worst, immoral, ungodly king to ever reign and rule. So here's Josiah at the age of eight and now 16. And his role models and his examples were awful. Now on the good side, his great-grandfather Hezekiah was a good king. Was a good king. So his Age didn't impede him from being someone who would seek after the Lord. His family heritage did not impede him from seeking after the Lord. Right? To seek the Lord rightly. There's a, there's a little note in your Bible that says, His mother's name was Jedida the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And there's part of me 
There's part of me that reads that and wonders if the clue to Josiah's seeking the Lord, pursuing the Lord, making a decision to draw near to the Lord, in spite of his young age, in spite of his family history and heritage, in spite of all that, the one positive thing he may have had going for him was what? His mom. Timothy benefited from a mom and a grandma, Lois and Eunice, that were instrumental in his coming to faith. I don't know how many of you found your young life influenced by a godly mother. Anybody besides me? Yeah, bunches of us. Bunches of us. And there's times as I'm reading this passage, I'm reflecting on how critically important it is that we have godly mothers. We ought to have godly fathers too, right? Don't, don't get lost on that. We need godly men. We need godly fathers. That's so true. But I look at this passage and I say, here's this young king who's committed to seeking after the Lord and drawing near to him. And I wonder if the clue is a godly mother. You know, I was privileged to grow up in a Christian home. I was privileged to have godly parents. And I was privileged to have a godly mother who seemed to always be reading her Bible. And it's a little distressing when you finish seminary and you're teaching classes at church and your mom is attending and she knows the answers to all the questions you're asking. And, you know, uh, but my mom was there. Um, we had a gal in our neighborhood, one of the moms in our neighborhood that taught to good news clubs. And since my house had the most children in the neighborhood, oldest of five, since my house had the most kids in the neighborhood, guess where the Good News Club was? It's my house. And so our neighbor would come down the street once a week, and the kids from the neighborhood would come and gather in the living room, and, you know, we'd do our Bible story and whatever. And I still remember, um, Maggie asked us that this morning. Do you still remember the day? And when she was thinking about that, I said, yeah, I've been thinking about it while I was preparing this message. Because it was one, one afternoon... In my living room, I could still walk you there because my sister still lives in the house. <clears throat> I could show you pretty much the spot in the living room where I stood with my mom and prayer, prayed to invite Jesus into my life. The benefit of a godly mother. And I, lo I look at Josiah and his commitment to seek after the Lord, to follow after the Lord. And I, I think how often it's true in your life and my life, that we seek after a lot of things. We pursue a lot of things. And what we need to pursue and to seek after more than anything else is to draw near to the Lord. And I agree with what Greg Laurie said. What would happen in our churches? What would happen in our country, our city, our state, our country? What would happen if God's people would seek Him rightly like King Josiah? What might take place? What might happen? And so I look back over my last week, and I, I'm kind of pushing. I realized about a month ago, six weeks ago, maybe two months ago, I realized with just a little bit of extra time and effort that I could reach a new mileage goal for the year and ride my bike 8,000 miles this year. 
I'm, I'm really close. I'm at like 6,900, 6, you know. Got two months to go. And I'm pushing, I'm pursuing, I'm seeking after, I'm drawn near to that goal. And that's not a bad thing. And likely the things in your life that you're drawing near to and pursuing aren't bad things. But what's the best thing? What's the best thing in my life? What's the best thing in your life? Draw near to the Lord. And we do that uh, Sunday mornings, hopefully, when we come together here, right? We do that as we gather in our small groups. We've got about a half a dozen small groups gathering. It's an opportunity to be together with others and worship and pray together, study the scriptures. Um, we do that on our own, whether you're driving in your car and, and singing and praying or at home in a time of worship. Where and when and how is it in your week that you're seeking after, pursuing, drawing near to the Lord? Because that was important in Josiah's life, and I believe it's important in your life and in my life. The second thing that I notice in King Josiah's life is not only did he seek the Lord rightly, but he searched the scriptures regularly. One of the missing things in many of our lives is that the scriptures are absent. And the saddest thing is, and that's what we discover here, the scriptures are missing and we don't even know it. The scriptures are absent and we're not really conscious of it. And so what happens in King Josiah's life is he decides that he's going to clean up the temple. And so money is taken to the temple to pay the workmen, and they're cleaning and polishing and whipping the place into shape, checking out the trash and whatever. And while that's going on, verse 8 in Second Kings 22, <clears throat> Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. <laughs> it's like... I'm reading that verse and I'm going, what? Here's the high priest, the, the most significant uh, spiritual leader in the nation of Judah. And here's this other guy, Shaphan, who's the scribe. What did the scribes do? What was the scribe's responsibility? Their task was to study the scriptures and to teach the scriptures. And so here they are. They're chucking trash out of the temple. And he goes... Hey, guess what? I found the book of the law of the Lord. Wow. They didn't even know it was missing. (laughs) Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan who read it. Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought back word to the king and said, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. That was their task. That was what they're... So he's reporting back to the king. And then he throws in this line in verse 10. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. <laughs> and Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. So get this picture. They don't, they don't even know the book exists. They don't know it's missing. They don't, they don't know. So th- th- that should fill your mind with all kinds of thoughts about the nation, this, the situation in the nation of Judah. No wonder they were experiencing God's judgment. No wonder he was getting ready to take them into captivity. And so Shaphan reads 
the Scriptures to King Josiah. He reads the law of the Lord to King Josiah. Now, if I understand the law of the Lord refers to the Torah, the first five books, and I'm thinking to myself, so did he read all five Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus? Did he read the whole thing? I don't know, but whatever he read, look how Josiah responded. Verse 11 says, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He commanded Hilkiah the priest, um, Achim the son of Shaphan, Ebor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and the people in all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us. Because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. (laughs) So Josiah has the scriptures read to him. He wants to know more. You know, there's, there's kind of two questions as you're reading your Bible that are really important to ask yourself. And I don't know that this was an active part of Josiah's thinking, but as I read this passage... It reminded me that there's two questions you should always ask when you're reading the scriptures. The first question is, what is it I need to stop doing in my life? What is it I need to stop doing? The second question is, guess what? What do I need to start doing in my life? And so as as I'm reading the life of King Josiah and, and his response to the scriptures... Um, They find the book, they read it, he understands what it says, Uh, he's convicted by what he he reads, it says that he he tore his clothes, Uh, he sends for the prophet of God to ask uh, for more clarification, and and then finally he, he obeys what he understands. They didn't even know the book was missing. That just kind of staggers my thinking. High priest, scribe. Might excuse an 8-year-old and now a 16-year-old king, but the high priest and the scribe. And then, I wonder how often that happens in our lives. We, We set our Bibles down, and our week just gets incredibly busy, incredibly crazy, this activity, this event, the work, you know, all the stuff that fills our lives. And the next Sunday morning comes, and we're getting ready to go to church. I wonder, where, where's my Bible? Have you ever experienced that? Oh, don't raise your hand. Have you, ever, you know, have you ever experienced that? It happens. It happens. And so Josiah makes this this commitment, if you will, to seek the Lord. There's a commitment here of searching the scriptures, having the scriptures read and and understood. Um, I read a funny story this last week. I I suspect it's apocryphal because it's, it's too strange to believe. But the story is told of a a guy who loved books and was in conversation with a dear friend of his about books. And and the friend says, well, you know, he says, I found a book 
that's been in our family home up in the attic for generations. I don't know when, when the last time that book was dusted off. I don't know when the last time it was seen. It was printed by somebody named Guten something or other. And the guy says, Gutenberg? He goes, yeah, that might be it. He says, that book's really valuable. One just sold a few months ago for like $2 million. And he says, oh, this one wouldn't have been worth a thing. It was scribbled in by some German dude named Martin Luther. But do we really understand what we hold in our hands when we have this book? Do we, really, do we, do we get it? Do we really understand that these are God's very words? Some have called it God's love letter to us. And I wonder sometimes if, like what the children of God experience in the nation of Judah, um, it's missing and they don't even know it. Josiah's life is focused, seeking the Lord rightly, searching the scriptures regularly. And I suggest to you that those are two things that, that we need to model. We need to model in our lives for our children, our grandchildren. Um, you and I live in a world, you and I live in a culture that no longer believes in absolute truth. You and I live in a culture where what matters is how I feel. And if I feel it's right, it's right. And I'm very charitable because, Sherry, if it's right for you, that works. If it's right for me, that's a good thing, even though we totally disagree. And so everything goes today in our culture on what we feel. And so... If the teacher says in my math class on the chalkboard 2 plus 2 equals 4, and I feel that 2 plus 2 equals 5, am I right? No. But in our culture, if you feel right, if you feel good. You know, I grew up in the, in the 60s. I'm a child of the 60s. And one of the phrases I remember from the 60s was this. If it feels right, do it. Is that believed any less today, 40, 50 years later than it was in the 60s? I don't think so. And so you and I live in a culture where what feels right is the standard. And it doesn't matter if what you feel is different than what I feel, we're both right. There's no longer a belief in absolute truth. And so when you and I take our Bibles and say, God has spoken, God has not stuttered, God is clear, God speaks truth all the time, sometimes people think we're just a little weird. But it's God's Word that guides our lives. It's God's Word that is our truth. And if we would seek the Lord rightly and search the scriptures regularly as Josiah did. We'd be on the right path for there being hope for America. Seek the Lord rightly. Search the scriptures regularly. And then the third one is the kicker. Smash sin ruthlessly. 
When I look at what Josiah did as a result of reading the scriptures, I'm struck with the fact that he took the scriptures very seriously. He tore his clothes first in in just a whole pouring out of of sorrow, of repentance, of humility before God, as did Daniel 70-plus years later. But in verse 23, it says, Then, he's got the scriptures read for him, he's listened to Hilkiah the prophet. Then, the king sent, and they gathered to him all the elders of Judah, of Jerusalem. I'm in chapter 23, verse 1, if I lost you. The king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. So he gathers all the people and they're reading the scripture to him. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments, his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. To carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And what's the next sentence say? All the people entered into the covenant. So King Josiah, as a result of reading the scriptures, calls all the people together. The scriptures are read. And they all covenant. They all promise before God that they're going to obey. They're going to follow. They're going to keep his laws, his ordinances, his statutes. And then, <laughs> then, Josiah begins this long list in the rest of the chapter of all the things that he did. Um, and it says in the, in the following verses, in verse 4, the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out the Bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal, the idols, the Asherah, the more idols. For all the host of heaven, he burned them. That's why I'm saying he smashed sin ruthlessly. He took these idols, these objects of worship of foreign deities, chucked them out of the temple, burned them. Um, He did away with the idolatrous priests, verse 5 says whom the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense in the high places. The kings that preceded him were idol worshippers. The kings that preceded him, his father Amnon, his grandfather Manasseh. There's all the idol worship going on. He takes all those idols. Uh, Verse 6 says, He brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron, burned it at the brook, ground it to the dust, threw its dust on the graves of the common people, Verse 7 says he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes which were in the house of the Lord. Can you imagine all this going on in the temple? Where the women were weaving hangings for the Asherah, the idol, the false gods. He brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places. Nevertheless, verse 9, the priests of the high places did not go up to the altar. He says they ate unleavened bread. He called, he, verse 10, he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire from Molech. Molech was one of those idols that they worshipped that always reminds me of our culture today because they, this idol had outstretched arms and they built a fire 
under those outstretched arms and then they sacrificed their infants, their children, to Molech. Not a whole lot different from what we do today with children in the great abomination of abortion. Josiah is ruthless in cleaning out all the idol worship, all the cult prostitutes, everything. Um, he did away with the horses which the kings of Judah had given to the sun. They dedicated these horses to the sun, worshiping the sun. Uh, he burned the chariots in verse 11. In verse 12, the altars which were uh, on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz. Yeah, he took those. He broke them down. And here's my word. He smashed them there in verse 12. He smashed them there and threw their dust into the brook Kidron. In verse 14, he broke in pieces the sacred pillars. Cut down. Th- this just goes on and on in verse Oh, where am I at? Verse 15, he broke down, demolished the stones. All these idols he's cleaning up, he's throwing out. You see, Josiah learned from the Scriptures that the people of God were to worship the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. King Josiah learned from the Scriptures where it says you shall have no graven images. King Josiah understood from the Scriptures that his desire to seek and pursue God and follow after Him was being hindered in the nation because of their idolatry, worship of idols. Sadly, the people of God in the nation of Judah, were living their lives just like the pagans around them. They had adopted the pagan gods. They had adopted the pagan idols. And everything that was in their culture, they had adopted and brought into their lives and brought even into the very temple. And Josiah ruthlessly (laughs) smashed clean enough. Uh, if you were to go back over to Second Chronicles, it uses the word purge three times. I kind of like that word. He purged the temple. He purged the altars. He purged it. He cleaned it. Smashing sin ruthlessly. And I would suggest to you this morning that the people of God in America too often are very guilty of doing the same thing the people in Judah did. We bring into our lives, we bring into our homes, and sadly sometimes we even bring into our churches practices of the pagan world around us. We bring a lot of our pagan culture into our homes through our televisions, through our DVD players, And we expose ourselves to a lot of really kind of cruddy stuff that's part of our culture. And that may not be happening in your home, but it happens in the homes of many people. Many people who call themselves Christians. We bring into our lives and into our homes pagan practices, pagan beliefs, pagan behaviors. And I look at the life of King Judah and I say, or Josiah... I look at Josiah and I say, here's a guy 
that models what I believe is critical if there's to be hope for America. We need to seek the Lord rightly. We need to search the scriptures regularly. We need to smash sin ruthlessly, just like he did. Josiah understood as he read the scriptures that God's wrath was going to be poured out on his people, the people of Judah. Josiah understood that. And it's just kind of fascinating to see Daniel at this end of the process, at the end of those 70 years of captivity, and to see his prayer of repentance, his prayer of seeking God's forgiveness. And it's interesting to compare that with now King Josiah before Nebuchadnezzar comes and Babylon conquers and destroys the city and the temple and hauls everybody to Babylon. Josiah had it figured out. In spite of his young age, in spite of his family history, in spite of the culture around him, Josiah had it figured out. So in two days, the elections are going to be over Tuesday night. Finally, right? Elections are going to be over Somewhere Tuesday night, well, some people have already declared a winner, but somewhere Tuesday night, you know, we'll, we'll kind of start getting those returns coming back. And some of you are like my wife. She'll be on the computer all night getting updates on each state, and, and I'll be sleeping, and I'm done. And, you know, it's, whatever happens is going to happen. But some of you are like my wife. You're going to be up all night listening to the returns. But I want to say it again. Hope for America does not depend on who wins this election. I hope you understand that. Hope for America does not depend on who sits in the White House come January. Hope for America depends on who lives in your house, who lives in my house, not in the White House. And if we can model and shape our lives after King Josiah, to seek the Lord rightly, to search the scriptures regularly, and smash sin ruthlessly, I believe there could be hope. For America, because we certainly are worthy of God's judgment, God's wrath. It's oftentimes asked during election cycles like this Is your life better than it was four years ago? Well, that's hard to answer during a pandemic, isn't it? Yeah, that's a really tough question. But my life is not going to be improved. Any more, any better by who gets elected in the White House. My life in your house is going to be what it is because of God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, God's faithfulness, God's sovereignty. All those great things we love about our God, right? That's what's going to, that's what's going to be important. A better America depends on us, you and me, our hearts, our homes, our families, our churches. That's where the hope for America lies. So how are you doing? How are you doing in this seeking the Lord thing? How are you doing in pursuing after Him, drawing near to Him? Is that, is that high on your agenda, or are there other things that kind of top the list? First of the Ten Commandments says, you know, uh, have no other gods before me. 
He's number one. He's the first priority. It doesn't say seek forth the kingdom of God. It says what? Seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness. So, how are you doing? How are you doing in the seeking the Lord thing? If you were to give yourself a grade on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 is terrible and 10 is just awesome off the charts. You know, how are you doing on that seek the Lord thing? And then, how are you doing this morning on, on searching the scriptures regularly? Is that, is that a regular pattern, a regular habit in your life, your day, your week? Are you more like Josiah or more like the people of Judah? And then how are you doing with that smashing sin thing? You know, we, we tolerate a lot of junk in our lives. We tolerate a lot of junk that comes into our homes on our TVs, our DVD players. Smashing sin ruthlessly. Purging it. Do you regularly open your life up to the Lord and say, Lord, what is it in my life that I need to chuck out? What is it in my life I need to smash and burn and destroy? How are you doing with that? I love the fact that Josiah's life in these four chapters in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, his life is bookended by the phrase, he did right in the sight of the Lord. He did right in the sight of the Lord. You and I are too easily and too quickly tempted to do what's right in the sight of our culture. We're tempted and drawn too often to do what is politically correct, what's acceptable. Instead of being drawn to do what God calls us to do. If there's going to be hope for America, if I look at the life of King Josiah as my model, I need to seek the Lord rightly, search the scriptures regularly, and smash sin ruthlessly. It was a cold, foggy morning in London, 1800s. Robert Richardson was walking the streets of London that Sunday morning. Not in the best mood, not in the best feeling about who he was, how his life had turned out. And he was listening to church bells playing, calling people to church that morning thinking about how far his life had drifted from the time when he went to church regularly, from the time where God was important in his life, from the time where the spiritual things in life mattered. And as he was walking the streets of London that morning with these thoughts, he heard the sound of one of those horse-drawn cabs that were very popular in England in the 1800s. And He turned to hail the cab and then noticed a a young woman was already occupying the cab and he dropped his arm and the woman told the driver to stop and she said, Sir, I'd be more than happy to to have you join and and share the cab with me this morning. And and so he climbed into the cab alongside this this young woman and uh, they began talking and they introduced each other and, and she said, Robert Richardson. 
She said, that name sounds really familiar to me. And she reached into her purse and and she pulled out a, a book of poetry that she'd been reading. And she said to him, I was just reading the other day a a wonderful poem written by a man by that name. You don't suppose. And she opened the book and and showed it to him. And uh, he said, yes, um, yes, I I wrote that many years ago. And she said, I love this poem. She said, this is a beautiful poem. Come thou fount of every blessing. And, and she began reading the, the words of this poem, which I wish I had memorized better. Come thou fount of every blessing, turn my, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. And as she had extended the, the book to him and he was reading those words, his eyes quickly skipped down several lines to where he could read the words, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And he realized in that moment, reading the words that he'd written many years before, that that was exactly where his life had gone. Prone to wander. Prone to leave the God I love. And the young lady that he shared the cab with, she said, but you also wrote these words. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. You can offer your heart again to the Lord. That's a wonderful thing about our God, you know. When you realize that you've kind of drifted, you've kind of wandered, you've kind of gotten off the path, God loves it when we realize that and we come back and walk that path again. And It was in that moment in the cab with that young lady that Robert Richardson recommitted his life to the Lord. To walk with the Lord as we understand his, the rest of his life. Uh, to walk to the, walk with the Lord for the rest of his life. Because of a chance encounter in a cab with a book. With a poem that he'd written many years before. And so I don't know where it is you are this morning. I know where our country is. I know where our culture is. We've drifted a long, long ways from the Lord. We've drifted a long, long way from God's word. We've drifted. And the beauty is we have a gracious and merciful God. And as I pray for our country, that's one of my prayers. God, be merciful. We deserve judgment. God, be merciful. And that's my prayer as I think of people who have come to know the Lord, have walked with Him, and somehow have walked away, drifted. God always draws us back to Himself to walk with Him. Seek the Lord rightly. Search the Scriptures regularly. Smash sin ruthlessly. That's what God wants in my life. That's what God wants in your life. That's what needs to happen in this country in which we live. Because our hope for America does not depend on who lives in the White House. It depends on who lives in your house and in my house as we walk with the Lord together. And so, Father, I'm grateful this morning for the life of King Josiah. I'm grateful for what he models uh, for me. And I'm grateful for these simple reminders from his life. I'm grateful as I read the story of his life, I'm grateful for godly parents and godly mother. I'm grateful for the the influence of, of the parents that you gave to me. I'm grateful. And so, Lord, we would come before you today.
asking your favor on behalf of this great nation. Help our nation to see that you're the only hope. We do ask for your grace, your direction, your wisdom for President Trump, Vice President Pence, our Congress, our Supreme Court, our Governor. Lord, we would pray that for each of these, that they might truly come to know the Lord Jesus as Savior. That each of their lives would be radically touched, radically transformed by the gospel message. Lord, we would pray that like Josiah, they might choose to do what is right in your sight. Lord, I pray this morning that you would thwart the efforts of those who would remove religious freedom from our nation. I see that very strongly in this election. I see that very strongly in the candidates that are running. That our religious freedoms are hanging in the balance. I believe that. Pray, Lord, that you would intervene. We need you to forgive us for looking away and pray that we would return to your truth to follow you. And I pray that a a holy fear of God would sweep our nation, leading us back to you. I pray you would start that process right here in this place with us, the people of God here in Grace Norwalk. Lord, I pray that as this election comes to conclusion, that you would expose the lies and the truth clearly. Protect us from our enemy who seeks to steal, to destroy. Bring to light what's been hidden in darkness. Bring truth to the forefront. Thank you for the freedoms that we have today as Americans. We ask you to continue to show us favor. We ask for great awareness, discernment as we pray for this election. Pray that a hedge of protection would be around this country during this time. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. We ask for your favor upon us, our nation, our children, our grandchildren. Lord, you are our only hope. You are our only hope. And I'm grateful that you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we ask. Remind us afresh from the life of Josiah that you are our hope. As we seek you rightly, search your scriptures regularly and smash sin ruthlessly. Give us courage today to do that is my prayer. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. 
Yes, they shall have eternal First of all, then, I urge that prayers, entreaties, thanksgivings be made for all men, but especially for kings and those in authority. Paul goes on to talk about that quiet and tranquil life that we talked about several weeks ago. And captured in the very midst of his words is the fact that we serve a God who desires that all men would come to know Jesus. And so the truth that we've just sung is the truth that we need to be sharing as we exit these doors. The simple truth that God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That message is far more important than anything else going on in the political arena this morning far more important. Lord, find us faithful in the week ahead as we seek to honor you with our lives, as we seek to be the men and women of God that you call us to be. Give us boldness this week. Give us courage this week that we might share with people that our, our hope is Jesus. Our hope doesn't rest in a president. Our hope doesn't rest in a governor or a Supreme Court. Our hope rests in you. Give us opportunity this week to share that simple truth with those we encounter and meet and share with this week. Be honored. Be glorified. Be magnified in our lives this week as we serve you together in Jesus' name.